Wednesday, June 13th, 2012, episode number five of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome into episode number five of the Football Nation Today podcast. Here's truly Alex Reamer. It is Wednesday, June the 13th of 2012. We've been at this baby for five weeks, working our way here towards the middle of June. It's scary how quickly June has flown by, hasn't it? Mandatory mini camps beginning across the league. We'll talk a lot about that inside this edition of Football Nation Today, which of course is published each and every Wednesday for your listening consumption on footballnation.com and also via download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts of footballnation.com in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so, and that guarantees each time you open up your iTunes browser, a new footballnation.com podcast will be downloaded automatically into your iTunes library. Uh, Before we get started today, though, Want to send a brief congratulations to the Los Angeles Kings of the National Hockey League, if I may cross sports for a moment, who defeated the New Jersey Devils Monday night to win their first Stanley Cup in their 40-plus year history. Um, A terrific feature article on the history of the Kings franchise in Sports Illustrated a couple weeks back in which it detailed uh, the ineptitude of that franchise when they first first came to L.A. 40-some-odd years ago about how uh, their first ever practice was open to the public Only problem was, they didn't have any pucks for their first ever practice, their first ever open skate. Uh, So a fan who attended the practice actually had to go back to his office and pull out a signed hockey puck for the Kings to practice with. You forget how, um, how inept a lot of these leagues were 30, 40 years ago, especially the NHL and NBA, when they were expanding into other markets. That's just a reminder of that. And speaking of the NBA, Thunder Heat Finals underway. Our Boston Celtics here in the New England area gave it a ride. Unfortunately, though, their legs just gave out in the final quarter. Tied at 73, entering the fourth quarter of Game 7. You would think the Celtics would have been able to pull away, but the Miami Heat were simply the better team, and it showed in the fourth quarter in Game 7. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh combined for all 28 Miami points in that quarter. So now they're up to speed on what's going on in the other areas of sports. How about the NFL? We have a lot to get to today in our first down segment. Going to talk about two teams, one in the NFC, one in the AFC. Who have the most pressure on them this season? Both play in the Eastern Divisions. We'll talk about those teams. Then in our second down segment, we talk about the biggest NFL stories off the field. Three quick hits I want to get to. Um, another detail from the Bounty Gate story, which just continues to highlight um, the sleaziness, if you will, involved in that. Uh, More concussion news. Roger Goodell coming out speaking about concussions this past week. We'll talk about that. And I know it's not NFL-related per se, but it most certainly is football-related. Jerry Sandusky trial is underway. Ranted about that in the Reamer rant last week. Want to follow up on a tidbit from something that one of the witnesses said this week. Then our third down segment, it's a big up slowdown. A lot of interesting topics to get to today. Everything from Chad Ochocinco signing with the Dolphins to Rob Gronkowski's suspension, to who the most overrated quarterback is in the NFL. An interesting article on footballnation.com about that this week. I'll give you my two cents. Then the fourth down segment, it is the Reamer rant, talking about Vince Young 
suing his former agent, claiming he's out of $5.5 million. And just a reminder of um, the disappointment that Vince Young's NFL career is. It's Football Nation Today. We'll be right back. Here we go, leading off the show with our first down segment where we look at the biggest on-field stories with the NFL over the past week. Mandatory minicamps opening up across the league over the past several days, and that led me to think, which teams have the most pressure on them to succeed in the 2012 regular season? Well, in the NFC, it's pretty easy to me. In the AFC, it's pretty easy too. The Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC, I think, undoubtedly have the most to prove out of any team. They failed to make the playoffs last season for the first time since 2007, finishing at an 8-8 eight eight record. They started, of course, at a 1-4 record, did the Eagles. I think one of the bigger surprises of the NFL offseason that hasn't gotten as much play as I thought it would get is that Juan Castillo is still listed as defensive coordinator for Philadelphia after many thought he would be, a pra- after he- after many thought he would be replaced after the atrocious season many thought he had as the main defensive play caller for Andy Reid last season. So I am a little bit surprised, at least, that Juan Castillo remains as defensive coordinator. And really the key for the Eagles this season is getting more production from what I like to call the quote-unquote base of their defense. Uh, I'm not talking about skill position players. I'm not talking about defensive ends. Not really talking about outside linebackers, or the linebacking core as a whole struggled for Philadelphia at times last season. I'm certainly not talking about the defensive backs even with Asante Samuel being traded to Atlanta this offseason, they still have more than enough talent there to succeed, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I'm talking about the base of their defense. I'm talking about their defensive line, especially up the middle. And I'm talking about a guy like D'Amico Ryans, their middle linebacker, who has to have a rebound season. Uh, because you look at the skilled players on both sides of the ball, and the Eagles have those skilled players to succeed in today's league. And as we've covered before in today's NFL, it really is what separates the... Just okay, mediocre teams, i.e. the 8-8 eight and eight teams from the, you know, 10-win, 11-win, 12-win playoff teams, uh, are these skill positions largely. And what made the Eagles such an anomaly last season is that they did have the skill positional players, but it was everybody else and everything else that held them back. So you look at their roster heading into this season and heading into mini camps and training camps later on this summer, they still have the skill players on both sides of the ball to succeed. I mean, you look at on defense, they have Justin Babin, right, as a defensive end, a, a terrific defensive end, great pass rusher. Uh, we know about Dominic Rodgers-Kamardi and Namdi Asamoah as the two main corners on that team. Uh, offensively, you look at their receiving core. Well, Sean McCoy is a dynamic running back, but you look at their receiving core. You know, Deshaun Jackson, Jason Avant, Jeremy Macklin, all those guys, especially Jackson and Macklin, can stretch the field, as we like to say, and really open up things offensively for Mike Vick, who is coming off an injury-ravaged 2011, but is still undoubtedly one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the game, if healthy. And we know the 2010 that Michael Vick had for the Eagles, at least in the regular season, before he didn't play so well in the playoff game. But you look at the Eagles roster defensively and offensively as well. They have the skilled players to succeed. The key for them is getting production from their quote-unquote base, and I think a lot of that starts with middle linebacker D'Amico Ryans not even being elite, but just holding their own, you know, winning or at least not getting blown out in the battle in the trenches, 
so to speak. The offensive line needs to play better, too, because Mike Vick operates best when he has time. But entering the season, I still think expectations have to be pretty high for the Eagles, not just because of the disappointment of last season. A lot of teams have disappointing years. But you look at the Eagles roster still, and in today's NFL, with the way the league is going, they still have all of the tools to be an elite team in the NFC. They just need more production from their base defense and their offensive line so they don't get blown out in the quote-unquote physicality uh, areas of the game or the quote-unquote battle in the trenches, as football people like to say. And so they need those guys to perform so their skill players can really open up and make plays because the Eagles do have a lot of guys defensively and offensively who can make plays, which is the key in today's NFL. It's all about getting the guys on the base to perform better, and it's also, of course, about Michael Vick staying healthy. That's the obvious. Uh, but after the disappointing year the Eagles had last year, with the state of their roster still heading into this season, you have to see the Philadelphia Eagles have a lot to prove and a lot of pressure on them, maybe even more so than any other team in the NFC. Hopping on over to the AFC, promise we won't bring up the Jets every show, but they give us a lot to talk about. The New York Jets, I think, undoubtedly, are the team with the most pressure on them in the AFC. Um... Rex Ryan didn't guarantee his Super Bowl appearance in a radio interview earlier this week with Dan Patrick, but he did say he's more confident in his team than ever before, so he didn't quite say, yeah, we're Super Bowl or bust again this season, but he also did say, I have more confidence in my team right now than I've ever had before, so he didn't say it, but he did say it. Um, and you look at the Jets, they still have a lot of questions offensively. We talked about this last week in a big up slow down. We want to talk about the Mark Sanchez Tim Tebow relationship, and that you know will fill up the tabloids all season long and all summer long as we prep for training camp. But the biggest story offensively with the Jets in regards to their success as a football team is the relationship between Mark Sanchez and Santonio San Holmes. Are those guys going to be on the same page? If they're not going to be on the same page, and right now we don't have any signs that they are, or that the relationship has really improved much from the end of last season where it spiraled out of control, if they're not going to be on the same page, Sanchez and Holmes, then you can forget about it. You can absolutely forget about it because, yes, Sean Green is a good running back, and the Jets like to have the ground-and-pound game. They want more contributions from Joe McKnight this season as well. You know, the offensive line does have Nick Mangold centering it and DeBrickashar Ferguson as well at a tackle, but the, everybody else on, the, on that offensive line didn't perform that well last season too. So that's another thing to pile on to the offensive questions for the Jets besides Ferguson and Mangold. Can anybody else on that offensive line fill in and do their job? And we'll talk about the lack of depth with the Jets on the defense in particular. But look, in order for the Jets to compete with the Patriots in the AFC East, who, by the way, look to be loaded this season once again, especially offensively, my goodness, um, they're going to have to score 24-plus points per game. You know, the Jets are not going to make the playoffs this season scoring 14 to 17 points a game most weeks. It's just not going to happen. They need to open up offensively, and the way to do that in today's NFL is by passing the football. And... <laughs> the most central ingredient to the success of their offense and the success of their passing game is the Mark Sanchez and Santonio San Holmes relationship. How is that progressing? Is it progressing at all? And right now, we don't know. And you add on to the fact that the Tim Tebow X factor, Rex Ryan also said this week that, you know, Tebow can bring a lot of variables to the offense, which I'm sure he can. 
But the question with the Jets is, and we talked about this last week with Jeff Sperber, Football Nation contributor and Jets follower, um, is the on-field production that Tebow should bring, is that going to be worth the distraction that he will undoubtedly bring? And that he is already bringing under Sanchez. You know, I mean, you know, the first interception Mark Sanchez throws in training camp, or hell, even in this mini camp, they're going to start drumming the Tim Tebow drum in New York. They did it in Denver. And the Denver media market, as we know, isn't even close to the Metro New York media market. So, a lot of questions offensively for the Jets. And Sanchez's development has to be there as well. And you look at the defense. I think the defense has declined some too. Look, Darrell Rivas, for my money, is still the best defensive player in the game. Uh, but how about the rest of that secondary? Can Jim Leonard stay healthy and back him up at safety? Is Antonio Cromartie going to compliment Rivas at corner? I think Cromartie is a very athletic cornerback, but once you get a receiver with a brain on him who actually runs crisp routes, Cromartie's lost. You know, if, if a receiver just runs up to, uh, down the field, Cromartie can match him in a foot race and beat him in a foot race. But if you actually take a receiver like, say, a Wes Welker, and I just use that because I've seen that matchup many times over the years, Cromartie on Welker, you take a receiver like a Wes Welker, somebody who can run a crisp route, and Cromartie's lost because I don't know if you got this from Hard Knocks two years ago, but he's not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, you look at the linebacker position, David Harris, Bart Scott, I love those two guys there, but I don't love what's behind them. The defensive line is very thin, you know, they need Aaron Maven to step up, they need rookie Quinton Copples to step up, who many think is a developmental type of guy, may not contribute that much this season. Mike DeVito, Siani Pua are okay, but not much is behind them. Just like the offensive line, the defensive line doesn't have a lot of depth there. So, a lot of pressure is on the Jets. A lot of pressure is on the Jets. And the Tim Tebow, Mark Sanchez thing at quarterback is going to get most of the press, but a lot of their problems are deeper. Depth on the offensive line behind Mangold and Ferguson. It can't just be those two guys. The Santonio Holmes-Mark Sanchez relationship is up there. The lack of depth in some areas on defense, especially the defensive line, are main issues too. So the Jets have a lot of issues to sift through and a lot of pressure as well. Moving on to our second down segment, this is where we look at the biggest off-field stories from the week in the NFL. Let's first start with Michael Silver of Yahoo Sports who wrote an article this week talking about recent reports that uh, former Saints defensive coordinator Greg Williams announced $200 rewards for what he labeled whack hits by cornerback Ramon Harper and linebacker Joe Juan Dunbar in the team's playoff victory against Detroit last January. Uh, that's exactly the wrong way to play defense. I mean, the Saints defense sucked in that playoff game against the Lions last January anyway. And also, um, that's totally counterintuitive to what the NFL is trying to do. And it just shows the hypocrisy with a lot of players who on one hand are champion player safety and concussion awareness, but on the other hand are looking to collect multi-hundred dollar bounties uh, for whack hits. Well, what do you think a whack hit is? Hmm, a whack hit, probably when you fly at a guy and your helmet goes right into his. 
right? I think that would be labeled a whack hit, and that's exactly the kind of hit that causes concussions and that the NFL is trying to weed out of the game and that the players supposedly are concerned about weeding out of the game, but yet guys still do it routinely in the secondary. You still have idiotic safeties flying across the field, launching themselves like torpedoes, their helmets first, into opposing players' helmets, and you have the Saints doing it here. I mean, Roman Harper, Jolon Dunbar collecting $200 bounties for whack hits flying across the field, trying to injure players. It's just, it's not a big story, obviously. We're not going to spend a lot more time on it. But it just is another layer to the Bounty Gate controversy, the Bounty Gate situation. And it just further highlights how hypocritical a lot of these players are in regards to player safety and how truly serious they are about it. Um, speaking of player safety, Roger Goodell did talk about that a couple of days ago in which he said... The NFL will test concussions and head injuries on the sidelines this season with computers or an electronic tablet. The NFL, Goodell mentioned, also plans to use instant replay to tell trainers when to take a closer look at an athlete. Uh, these are good things. And, you know, these are good improvements. And now you just have to make sure that teams use them and don't bypass them. Uh, and, you know, that's another difference in today's NFL. If you get a concussion... From a PR perspective, a team can't just throw a player back on the field and say, oh, all right, go back out, you're fine. Because if the media ever got their hands on it after the game, which in today's age of media is highly likely, uh, that team would be eviscerated, and rightfully so. So it's so no longer in today's NFL can you just play through concussions like you could have in the past. If you're out with a concussion, you have to be tested electronically, can't return to the field, out for a couple of weeks, which just makes the players, again, even more hypocritical in a lot of instances because with the severity of concussions and how serious teams take these now because they have to, and rightfully so, on the other side of the field, you have some defensive players still launching themselves helmet first into guys. So, you know, it's, it's a tough situation, certainly, but it's a changing culture of the league, you know, and, and hockey's going through this as well. It's simply a matter of fact that with the way we handle concussions now as a society, with the more information we have on them and the, severity, and the long-term effects of them, uh, if, you know, if players don't start having more respect for themselves, and if the culture of the leagues don't begin to change, they're going to run out of players. It's really as simple as that, and that's the last thing the NFL wants, to see a star wide receiver or a star running back or, God forbid, a star quarterback go out with a concussion because, you know, you know and go out long-term with concussions especially. And we make fun of the rule changes, and I make fun of a lot of the rule changes too, you know, I mean, I've said a couple times, oh, that's ridiculous, I mean, the guy barely breathed on him, right, when a defensive player goes on a quarterback, sneezes on him, and the quarterback falls down, the defensive player is, is flagged for roughing the passer, I admit it too, you know, watching a game, I'll cuss at the referee just like everyone else for making that call, oh, put flags on him, blah, blah, yeah, I'm guilty of saying that at times as well, while watching a game, but ultimately, that's the direction the league has to go in because they have to protect their property. Their property are their star offensive skill players, especially the quarterback. And they just can't risk a quarterback, especially or any player, going out with a concussion because it's not like the old days where you just take them out for a few plays, a few snaps, a series or two, and then they're back in. No, it's out for the long term potentially. So we may not like the rule changes. The NFL has to implement them. And lastly, here on the Jerry Sandusky trial, uh, reports coming out this week. The trial has begun about the witnesses. And uh, the first witness in the Jerry Sandusky trial earlier this week uh, vividly described the sexual abuse 
He suffered for three to four years at the hands of Sandusky. In Osterich County, he performed oral sex on Sandusky as well. The prosecution also has released love letters that Sandusky wrote to his victims. Uh, I mentioned this because we did bring it up briefly last week in the Remarant in the fourth down segment about how this Sandusky trial is being held roughly 10 miles from the Penn State campus. Ridiculous. And how not just Sandusky's peers, but quite literally Sandusky's neighbors were selected as the jurors for this trial. Uh, but even I don't care who's the jury here. I don't care who's on the jury. With the prosecution rolling out evidence like this, anything but the harshest penalty and the harshest sentence on Jerry Sandusky here by the jury would have to be deemed inexcusable, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so too. Switching gears to our third down segment, this is where I will throw a statement out there and I give you a big up or slow down regarding that statement. Let's start off with this one. Big up or slow down, Chad Ochocinco signed with the Dolphins this week. Big up or slow down, Ochocinco will be on the Dolphins in September. Alright, now, I said September because there are some conspiracy theorists out there who say the Dolphins simply ch signed Chad Ochocinco for the purpose of having him on their roster for when the HBO cameras roll through with hard knocks in training camp. And then once August ends, once the cameras roll out, you cut Ochocinco's ass and you move on. That's what some of the conspiracy theorists out there say. And I think there's something to that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we know about the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross. And how he always, you know, how he wants to make the Dolphins more of an attraction, if you will, like the Lakers are in L.A., like they were in Dan Marino's day in the 80s. You know, I mean, we know about that. So it does make sense on some levels. However, they're also giving some guaranteed money to Ochocinco, too. And I would think any owner, no matter how badly he wants to put on a good show for the HBO cameras, wouldn't sacrifice any sort of guaranteed money to a guy, any money at all to a guy, uh, just to make the TV show better, if you will. Um, but I say big up here. Ochocinco will be on the Dolphins roster in September. Now, if the question is, will Ochocinco be on the Dolphins roster in December? I think the answer is slow down. Because I don't think Ochocinco can play in the NFL anymore. And what I mean by that is, his physical skills are still there. He's still a physical specimen. Still in terrific shape. Which is why the Dolphins took a chance on him. And which is why he will make the team out of training camp. He is simply too talented physically not to, still at this stage in his career. But this man just did not get it at all with the Patriots. There were reports last week that Dion Branch still had to tell Chad Ochocinco where to line up in practice drills. Ochocinco never worked in New England because this is a precision offense. This, is, this, is, this wasn't Cincinnati, where Carson Palmer could just lock in on Ochocinco, see where he was going down the field, and try to find him, throw it up in the air, and count on Ochocinco's physical ability to come down with the catch. Tom Brady has to know where you're going to be at all times. And he looks to all of his options, and if you're not where he thinks you're going to be, he's not going to keep following you to see if he can break open. You know, he's not going to keep following you to see if you're called an audible. No. You have to be where the route says you're going to be, or Tom Brady is not going to look in your direction. I would think a similar thing will happen in Miami 
especially if Ryan Tannehill, a rookie quarterback, gets the job at some point this season. You cannot entrust Tannehill with running an offense and then having the rogue number one wide receiver, Chad Ochasenko, doing his own thing on his own side of the field. Today's NFL in the passing game, especially a good passing game, it's all on precision. It's a precision passing game. And Chad Ochocinco showed in the page, showed with the Patriots, he cannot adapt to that. He doesn't have the football IQ to adapt to that. He doesn't care to adapt to that. He's too busy tweeting. So Ochocinco signed with the Dolphins because of the extra publicity boost it gives him and because he still is incredibly talented. And his raw physical talent will carry him through training camp and will carry him through uh, to the roster at the start of the season. Will, will he be on the Dolphins when the season concludes in, the, in December? The answer is no. However, big up, he will be on the team in September. Big up or slow down, New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski is the perfect football player. Big up. This just gives me an excuse to talk about how much I love Gronk and how much I love the fact that he is the stereotypical football jock. Oh, it's awesome. I just love everything about him. I tweeted this out last week. Rob Gronkowski is everything a football player should be. And I'm so glad the Patriots didn't bust his balls in negotiations and sign him to that six-year, $54 million deal, ripping up the final two years of his rookie contract. Patriots have seemed to learn their lesson from Logan Mankins, from Vince Wilfork, because when you take these guys to the end of their rookie deals, they're going to play hardball with you in negotiations, and you're going to wind up alienating the player, and you're going to wind up costing yourself more money in the long term. You know, Mankins is the highest-paid guard in the league. Patriots, by not ripping up his, early, his rookie contract early and by taking him to the wall, by franchising him, they wound up paying more for Mankins because he played hardball right back with them in negotiations, held out in everything. So the Patriots, learning from Mankins, ripped up the final years of Gerard Mayo's rookie deal, signed him to a new contract last season, and they did the same thing with Rob Gronkowski here. Now, this is a great deal for both sides. The final $37 million of the contract is contingent upon the Patriots picking up a club option at the end of 2015. So, the Patriots have the power at the end of the deal here. And Gronkowski has the guaranteed money at the front end of the deal. Gronk is guaranteed $18 million through the first four seasons of this deal. So it's really great for both sides. Look, is there any doubt that if he remains healthy, Rob Gronkowski will be the elite tight end in football for the next four years? There is no doubt about it. So what are we doing here? Rub up the final two years of his contract and pay him. It works out the best for both sides here. And then at the end of the deal, when you're unsure that Rob Gronkowski may still be an elite tight end, the power then goes into your hands. So this deal works out perfectly for both sides. Rob Gronkowski gets his money up front. And the Patriots know he's going to be elite for the next four years, so they get to pay him there. They don't alienate him. And the Patriots have a lot of control here, all the control, in the final two years of the contract. So I just love to see the fact the Patriots got Gronkowski down er done early and a deal that really works out well for both sides. And there was an article this week on FootballNation.com detailing the most overrated quarterbacks in the NFL a lot of great um, information on footballnation.com, even through the offseason. Great reading material. This article, another example of that. And the article said that Joe Flacco is the most overrated QB in the NFL. So the question is, do I agree with that statement, big up or slow down? I say slow down because who puts Flacco in that elite category? 
besides himself, of course. I mean, Flacco said this offseason that he believes he's the best quarterback in the league. I know Eli Manning said that last year, Joe, but eh, Eli Manning and Joe Flacco, I take Eli. Um, and also, Joe Flacco's reportedly asking for an extension which would warrant him $15 million per season with incentives and everything. So, uh, yeah, maybe Joe Flacco considers himself to be one of the elite quarterbacks in the league, but that doesn't mean anyone else does. I mean, he was 18th in the league in terms of pass rating last season. The definition of mediocrity. So that's why I disagree with this slightly. I say no Flacco is not the most overrated quarterback in the league. The most overrated quarterback in the league, ladies and gentlemen, is Tony Romo. And I say that because people... A lot of people still want to place Romo in the elite category. And how can you do that? Because, hey, look at it this way. Joe Flacco's won more postseason games than Romo has. Really, I mean, Tony Romo's career playoff record is 1-3. 1-3 in the playoffs. His career December record is 8-14. Yes, his career record in the regular season is 47-30, but he's been in the league now 6 Seven years as a starter, right? So that's not ten wins per season. That's around nine, thereabouts, which some would even say is a slight underachievement with this Cowboys roster. He's good. He puts up gaudy numbers at times. His QB rating is 96.9, higher than Eli Manning's career QB rating of 82.1, which I guess is a commentary on the Q- on the QB rating statistic and how flawed it can be at times because is there any doubt, especially at this stage in their careers, with Manning's development, you would rather have to quarterback your team, Eli Manning or Tony Romo? I take Eli Manning 10 times out of 10. But here's the biggest thing in regards to Tony Romo. He doesn't perform his best when it counts the most. So who cares about the statistics he puts up? Yeah, he puts up big numbers. Woo! So does everybody else at quarterback in today's NFL. Does Tony Romo win? No, he doesn't. Ever. So that's why I think Tony Romo is the most overrated QB in the league. He's not elite, not even close, because he doesn't win. Big up or slow down. I sympathize with Jaguars running back Maurice Jones-Drew, who is not attending minicamp this week. He has two years remaining on a $31 million contract. Jones is subject to fines of $63,000 for not attending these mandatory minicamps. Maurice Jones-Drew wants a new contract. Big up. I do sympathize with him. Because there's a limited shelf life to NFL careers. Now, that doesn't mean I think the Jaguars should budge. They shouldn't. They have two years left on the deal, so they really have all the leverage here. Maurice Jones-Drew does not have a lot of leverage at all. And you know how I feel about um, how running backs are intrinsically risky uh, investments, especially when they get towards the tail end of their deals, as Maurice Jones-Drew is, and how they take a lot of pounding. And how, you know, they're just intrinsically risky investments. Um, So... I say there is a limited shelf life to NFL careers. Um, so I don't blame Maurice Jones Drew for trying to get his money while he can. I don't think the Jaguars should budge, and they're not going to budge. But I don't blame Maurice Jones Drew for trying. Look, he'll hold out here for these mini camps. He can afford the $63,000 hit or whatever it'll be. He'll find out, all right, they're not going to restructure my deal. So he'll report, he'll report to camp in late July, early August. Like nothing will ever happen, and life will move on. Can't blame a guy for trying. That's really all Maurice Jones-Drew is here. Trying. You can't blame him because the NFL, unlike the other three major sports, does not have guaranteed contracts. Players have to maximize their earning potential. That's all Maurice Jones-Drew is doing here. Uh, But again, the Jaguars shouldn't budge. But I don't blame a guy for trying. 
Closing out the show quickly here, our fourth down segment it is the Reamer rant. And the target of the Reamer rant this week is quarterback Vince Young, who's currently suing his former agent and financial advisor, claiming that he is out of $5.5 million. Vince Young still playing in the NFL, currently signed to back up Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Bills, signed a one-year $2 million deal, backed up Mike Vick in Philly last season, actually started a couple of games as well, as we know. Uh, Vince Young was the third overall pick in the 2004 draft, signed to a $50-plus million deal. That was before, of course, a new CBA, so that was just when draft picks were getting stupid, stupid money, even if you weren't the number one overall pick. Uh, and, you know, Vince Young is just a telltale story about how physical talent does not carry you to success in the NFL. It can get you to the NFL, but to stay in the NFL, to succeed in the NFL, you need to have more than just the raw physical ability. You need to have a little bit of the brain, too. And Vince Young has illustrated that he has absolutely none of the brain. No intellectual capability whatsoever. No judgment capability whatsoever. No real work ethic whatsoever either. Vince Young is a guy who has simply rode the coattails of his physical ability, rode it through high school, rode it through college at Texas University, rode it to the third overall pick in the 4 NFL draft with the Titans, rode it to a starting job handed to him right out of the draft, and now he's rode it all the way to the bench in Buffalo. Have fun, Vince Young, sitting there in the bench in Buffalo behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, really the antithesis of you, a Harvard graduate, somebody who worked his way to the NFL, Handed nothing in terms of football. Uh, worked his way to a starting position because of his work ethic. And you can sit there with your Texas alma mater and you know a 50 plus million dollar deal right out of college that you probably blew because you're suing your agent for five and a half million right now while you're still playing. Have fun in November, Vince. Sitting there in the freezing cold temperatures in Buffalo in front of a half-empty stadium as the Bills crawl their way to another seven and nine season. Have fun doing that. And maybe it'll serve as a reminder that, you know what, I had all the abilities to be an elite NFL quarterback. Maybe I should have taken things just a tad more seriously. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer. Um, as always, show is published each and every Wednesday for a listening pleasure. Feel free to give us show feedback by leaving a comment on the show article page at footballnation.com. Download the show in the iTunes store as well. Subscribe to it if you've yet to do so. Shoot me an email. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. Also, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at alexreamer1. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on the Football Nation Today podcast uh, next Wednesday.